Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon. The amazing spider-tar, the amazing spider-tar, come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I'm the founder and editor of AmazingSpiderTalk.com. Hey, and I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us for a special episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Dan, today we're going to be discussing our thoughts on Amazing Spider-Man number 797 to 799, the first half of the final arc of Dan Slott's run, also known as Go Down Swinging. All the discussions you're about to hear were recorded as part of our Patreon club the week that these comics were released, or, or thereabouts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as best as we can make happen. Exactly. But if you'd like to join us for these episodes as we release them in, in real time, especially now, Dan, it's a great jumping on point because we're about to get a new creative team on Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, why not head over to our Patreon page and join us for just three ninety nine a month, the cost of one new comic. For now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do a ton of awesome stuff over there, Mark. And in fact, we just recorded an episode all about the amazing Spider-Man free comic book day issue. You know, the one that kicks off the Nick Spencer and Ryan Otley run that we'll be getting this summer. I mean, you should remember it, Mark, because you were there for that conversation. I was there. And, and do, do free comic book day issues count, Dan? Yes, I think they do. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have them all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, either way, tune in, everybody. It's free on Comixology, so you can read it even if you didn't make it out to free comic book day. And you can find out what we thought of the last page twist. And then also tune in a week or so for our discussion about Avengers Infinity War. I, I don't feel so good, Dad. <laughs> so again, uh, you know, this show wouldn't happen without of our awesome Patreon subscribers. You know, uh, so we wanted to start naming our new subscribers for this month. So, Mark, let's butcher some of these names. This is my favorite part. Yeah, you have a track record for this. So uh, I want to thank Halfskimo, Jessica Fleckenstein, can I take Chris- the next one, Dan? Yes, it's you Crystal, can. It's Crystal D. You nailed it. And what about the rest of them, Mark? Adam Chapman. I know that one. Cole Grendel, who uh, actually upgraded his account. And I think that's it for now, right, Dan? Yeah, so thanks to everybody who joined our club and made this possible. So uh, let's get right into the action on this podcast and go to our first review of Go Down Swinging in Amazing Spider-Man number 797. What's
okay. So we're gonna we're gonna make Dan feel better by talking about the newest issue of Amazing Spider-Man number seven ninety seven by uh, Dan Slott and Stuart Immonen. It is the first chapter of the Going Down Swinging, the last Dan Slott story on comics and uh, on comics on Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to Iron Man, so he's not disappearing from comics. Mark, uh, do you know something I don't know? I don't. I don't. I swear that was. I don't even know if it was a Freudian slip. I don't like. I don't wish Dan's not left comics. I generally enjoy most of his stuff. Yeah. So the last few issues, Dan, uh, of Amazing Spider-Man, have been kind of mediocre. I would say maybe even less so. Kind of felt like a, a meandering build to this big story that's been kind of been getting hyped up now for um a few months since we learned that dan slot was going to be not leaving comics but leaving spider-man um and i felt like this the the lot was riding on this issue because of this kind of subpar build-up and and here we are and this comic for me delivered in almost every way possible and i feel the same way this is a pretty stellar issue one of dan slot's best yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to, like, say it was perfect because I felt really a lot of the any of the any issues I had with this comic were kind of tied into some of the clumsy setup things that had been laid out earlier, like the Peter Mary Jane stuff in this issue I thought was kind of lacking and just felt tacked on with a rivet gun. But, you know, the heart of the story is obviously we're we're, we're charting norman's norman osborne's transformation into the the carnage red goblin uh and also kind of getting a sense of what his his plot for spider-man is and um you know there's just so many i feel like the 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 total drama and and the layers of reveals are done so intelligently and so creatively in this comic i mean from the onset um you know we, we we have Norman kind of you know talking to somebody at the start in a very threatening way and given what we've kind of experienced with Norman and Carnage uh and this bonding over the last few issues I my initial thought was oh Norman's just talking to himself right you know what I mean or talking to the Carnage symbiote like you didn't like like that was like kind of to me the first swerve of many in this comic that I thought were brilliantly done that's interesting you say that. I, I did not have that interpretation, but I could see where that uh, would have come in. I I always thought there was someone there, and I thought, okay, who is this going to be that's going to make this story super interesting? I, I thought it was going to be the Gwen Stacy clone, if you had asked me who it was, you know. Um, but, you know, Carnage is really certainly interesting, too. Until, of course, we hear that person talking back, and we slowly get these clues as to who it would be. And to me, rereading it, I immediately go, oh, well, duh, the first clue is right there, is the location of where this is happening, in the Gentleman's Club. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, I mean, we're, we're going all the way, in the Wayback Machine to, what is this, like, Amazing Spider-Man 26 or something like that? I mean, this is like the Wayback Machine here, right? Yeah, I, mean, I guess like uh, Norman Osborn's first appearance, really, you know? Uh, yeah. May- maybe, maybe not as far back as 26, um, you know, well, no, I think 
I think like that was because I, I mean Osborne didn't appear by name until I think like issue thirty seven or something like that. But like there's like during that Crime Master arc, I think there is a reference to the Gentleman's Club that Jameson is, and there's a guy in a purple hat that's clearly Norman Osborne in, in one of those scenes. So. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, and 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 what an interesting place. I I was immediately thinking, I wonder where this is, and he tells you pretty pretty upfront. And how about? I don't think there's a way to talk about this comic without first just getting into the artwork in this comic. It is incredible. Like, Eminem is the best in the industry, and, and, and this is... You have a character basically talking to himself. The way he draws Norman's movements and posings, it's so terrifying. I, I, I can't remember being scared by a character in a comic like this like maybe ever like this is really frightening stuff yeah i mean it's it's totally sinister and you know it's it's funny like as i'm reading it i think i even wrote this in the review is as much as i loved um the artwork that mike mike perkins did uh, on that carnage series that he did with jerry conway uh, a couple years ago uh I, I really felt like that was really good gothic um visual storytelling i mean this this just like takes that and 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 ups the ante even further i mean because you're not even dealing with like the the raw force of nature that is carnage in this issue at least not really uh to this point uh it's it's just norman you know in 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 shadow with i mean the coloring uh by mark was it marte uh, gracia who, who did the coloring uh, I mean, the coloring is just fantastic. I mean, this is like some of the best coloring we've seen in this book probably since uh, Edgar Delgado and, and Ramos were together um, yeah, about 100 issues earlier. Um, but like <laughs> it, it just it, it, it adds to the whole level of terror and and just, again, these these reveals that are slowly being peeled back, which like as you as you kind of point out, they are dropping clues pretty early on that that lead to the conclusion that we get to but um you know we're, we're kind of dealing with jumping forward and backwards in time uh throughout this issue not always to me completely clearly i i, I do want to i do kind of want to ding the issue for that like i mean we we kind of established the timeline early where it's you know we, we see norman and then we jump four hours earlier um to peter and mj and then as Peter leaves the apartment, you kind of see Norman lurking around. And that's and to me, that's when I was keyed into the fact like, oh, crap, like there really is a legitimate hostage here. He's not just talking to himself in different character voices or anything like that, which was kind of my initial read of the situation. And then we kind of keep jumping back and forth between Peter interacting with different characters and Norman and, and uh, back in, in the gentleman's club. And and just slowly peeling back. Could it be this person? Could it be that person? And and you know, I'm wondering. In one breath, I'm wondering: Have we seen this person? Has this person already been in this issue in some facet, or is it someone completely different? I was actually you. Funny, you said the Gwen Stacy clone. I was thinking Harry. All of these characters came into my mind, you know. But like to me, it seemed like if they're going to do a double reveal, you know, you reveal someone that you don't even expect to be in the book. Period. You know, I, I was I was thinking I was thinking because we really did not have not seen Harry for quite some time, although we did see 
Liz Allen and Normie and, and Liz kind of – did we see Harry in this issue? Yeah, he shows up in this issue. Oh, that's right. That's right. Cause he's, he's at he's the park had, with them. You're right. Okay, my bad. I'm sorry. Um, still, I, I, I guess for some reason I thought that Harry was going to be – but you know, you, you saying that with someone that was completely out of the book would have made sense too. Yeah, it's it's just – like I said, it's it's great gothic visual storytelling. Norman's facial expressions are just spot on, and and I don't know, like I mean, like this is this is one of the most terrifying single issues of Spider-Man I've ever read. Yeah, the threat is like immediately apparent. I, what did you think about? Um, you know, Eminence art really portrays like a new kind of Norman. Like, I mean, a lot of that is just because he's such an incredible artist in ter- in terms of creating compelling character performances, uh, you know, whether it's through how the character's standing or the kind of shot choice that he's using, uh, you know, pardon my kind of film language here, you know, like, but the way that this character moves, it kind of reminds me of like, uh, like Heath Ledger's Joker in a way. It's this kind of like somewhat silly nonchalant about the violence that he's, inflicting it's not really something that i'm really used to seeing from norman and i wonder if this is the kind of jokey violent nature of carnage beginning to influence him in some way or if it's just that he has reverted back to we haven't seen him take the goblin serum yet um but you know i guess you could imply maybe he took it off panel he has you know re re turned the goblin to presence in his mind yeah although i mean i i would say that even like when Norman was like peak goblin, like he never was was truly a, a Jokerish character. I mean, you know, the Joker wasn't even truly the Joker. I don't think when when Norman was first kind of doing his thing in the 60s and 70s. And then um, by the time they brought Norman back in the 90s, I, I always felt they kind of were modeling him more after like Lex Luthor in terms of kind of being a master of the universe um in, in the comics so yeah i mean that but like there's definitely like i think a visual nod to that and and then even like a characterization nod of uh and i've always kind of felt like carnage with that being said was kind of a jokerish character um when he was introduced as kind of this like you know emotionless force of nature that you know like it, it his his origins just didn't matter you know like i mean like i always felt like the worst carnage stories were the ones that tried to like make you understand the character it's like you know what i mean like you didn't need to understand the character he's just he just is you know kind of like how the joker is um cletus cassidy even kind of looks like the joker yeah yeah i mean you know like yeah i never really needed to know about him being in an orphanage or anything like that i just you know just the character is what he is. He's this, this, this psychotic sort of force of nature. So like, I think merging Osborne's kind of well to do ness with that, that, that more looseness, um, imminent just kind of marries, marries him perfectly into what this is. So it's, like I said, it's kind of like the Joker, but not totally. It's still, it's still Norman at its core. Um, I, I loved it. I'm super intrigued by who this guy is and, what kind of damage he's going to inflict on Spider-Man's world. You know, I was saying to uh, my wife, you know, describing how much I like this book, um, which I try to spare her from as much as possible, but, you know, I can't help but seep out, that 
like I was kind of like rooting for the villain in this book and how weird that is to be doing in in this book. You know, like you want the characters to be okay. That's why you read. But I was so rooting for this threat to be continually ramped up because how fun it is to see char- you know characters have to deal with that and this specific threat of Norman Osborn like we so want him to be returned to his former glory as a villain uh, and I think this book does it you know uh, like in one issue Norman is back to being the threat that maybe even more so than he was before and how, and how joyful that is in a weird twisted way you know, it's interesting that you say that because whereas I, I, I do agree that you, you it's it's wonderful to see this character kind of be used in a way that where the threat is truly palatable. But like I, I you know, when we get the, the ultimate final reveal in this comic, which we'll obviously get to in a, in a little bit, it did make me wonder if. Dan Slott kind of painted himself into a corner a bit with the character because it's like, you know, now that, you know, it's, it's, you know, Norman, Norman has Spider-Man's identity. So it's like, you know, everything is back to the way it used to be pre one more day. But now with this added threat of Norman being completely bonkers with the Carnage symbiote, which makes it even more stressful, you know, more, more agonizing. It's kind of like, you know, after this story, it's it's kind of like wh- where do you even go with these characters? Like 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 that's what I mean by paint into a corner. It's like you know, like you, I kind of feel like one of them has to die again. You know, what I mean? <laughs> like it's like you can't you can't put that all back. Like so much is out now, you can't put that back in the box after this. What, so I'll be curious to see how how that's remedied in a what, way that is good for long term stories. Would you mind him dying? I mean, honestly, like, the best, uh, you know, Goblin story is the one where he dies. You know what I mean? Like, to me, like, I don't mind. I'd rather him have an amazing story where he's a real threat and die than just be this kind of, like, eh, character lingering in the background. Like, it's how I feel about the Hobgoblin right now. It's like, he was really great character, and now he's, like, popping up in Ultimate, in, like, you know, Ultimate Spider-Man or Spider-Man, whatever you want to call it, and like all these other books, and the characters only gotten watered down. You know, uh, like I'm okay with Norman just dying. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, especially if you feel that's what serves the story best. I mean, especially if it's done in a in a in a very meaningful way. But um, I guess my issue with it is, I mean, it was certainly done in a meaningful way where the character had to die. Uh, back in the 70s and Marvel still brought him back so it's kind of like you know if they kill him off again are they, are they, you know he's not gonna you know he's not gonna stay dead uh, you know he'll be dead until they feel they need Norman Osborn back in the book again whether that's a couple years from now 10 years from now or whatever um, so you kind of just want to like I don't know like that's what I just mean by like like, like you know it's kind of like do you, can you kill Aunt May again after Amazing Spider-Man number 400? You know what I mean? Like you, you did it in the most well done, meaningful way possible. And, and, and now you, you undid it. So like anything you really can do to raise the stakes of that character ever again, you, you, you kind of just paint yourself in the corner. So I do wonder if that's what you got going on here with Norman is, um, you know, has, 
have they painted themselves into the corner by just like ratcheting it up too far. But at the same token, I like to me, it's important that Norman has that information um, about Spider-Man because that's always what set him apart from everybody else. And it kind of, you know, when, when you're in this universe now where it seems like that cat is out of the out of the bag again, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, how, how is Norman not privy to that now? You know, like that's that seems inherently unfair, too. So I'm looking forward to the story either way. <laughs> but I'm just I'm going to be I mean. You know, we've had good first chapters from Dan Slott in the past for some of these big stories. So that's the first thing that kind of gives me pause before getting too swept up in what we had in this issue. Um, but I think the added um, high wire act here that we need to see is how how is this resolved in a way that is meaningful for the long term of, of the Spider-Man universe? Because it's he, this is set up in a really big way now. Um, like like this is this landing needs to be stuck. I think I agree. And I, I, I'm trying to be hopeful about it. And I think any of those concerns you have about doing this stuff over and over again, there is a, uh, like a limited return on investments if you do the same stuff over and over again. But at the same time, I also think a good writer can make anything work. You know, yeah. uh, superior Spider-Man, you know, a bad writer doing that would have made that the most hackneyed, boring thing we ever read. And it could have been done in an issue. But a good writer made it really exciting for a long time, you know. So we'll see. But, uh, you know, I think it certainly poses a lot of really interesting questions that are the kind of interesting questions that I like to read in the pages of this book. So I'm 100% on board with this, Where, like, you know, with what happened in this issue. Uh, I don't want to hang so much on this opening of the story. Well, let's come back and talk about the ultimate reveal at the end of the book, but I did want to make one special note, uh, you know, to this kind of interrogation of Jameson thing. I guess we haven't really said it was Jameson, but it was Jameson in the chair. Um, Spoiler. (laughs) Is the, uh, is the mouse sequence I thought was so artfully done, uh, where he says, you're going to squeal like the mouse and you get that slight reveal of the carnage symbiote in, uh, Silhouette, which we get, I guess, kind of later in the episode, or not episode, in the issue as well. This the kind of carnage via silhouette, to me, super creepy, like the creepiest. Yeah, I was just saying both both appearances by Carnage in this book. um, Again, not to dwell on how great Eminent is, but they were just masterfully pulled off, um, and how they were terrifying and creepy, but didn't actually resort to um graphic violence or anything or 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 just gory violence i guess or or bloody violence maybe that's what i'm talking about because i mean you know both scenes were were pretty graphic i guess in terms of their intent and what the and what the end result the other one being the 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 i guess i i am going to go out on a limb and say our our good friend um phil Yurik is 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 a dead guy now. <laughs> I I don't think it's, it's much of a limb. I would say go out on the heart because it yeah. seems as though his heart was torn out of his body. Yeah, um, you know the Goblin King or Knight or whatever the hell he's calling who um, was depowered by Silk, right? We we think, and at some point along the way, at the very least, he was kidnapped during the Axis story. Not kidnapped. He was arrested during the Axis story. But yeah, I thought he was depowered by Silk at the end of her story. 
I don't know. Some inconsistencies with this character. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I've never been a huge fan of what Dan Slott has done with Phil Urich with, between his his Hobgoblin arc and all that. And, you know, this is kind of, I think, an interesting case of um, a creator putting the toys back in the box, so to speak. It's, I mean, because this character wasn't really being used at all since the 90s. Um, uh, and, and, and Dan Slott kind of brought it back to mixed results, I would think. So I think this is kind of obviously tying up that loose end in his mind by just killing him off. And, you know, obviously if somebody feels inclined to bring him back in a couple of years, they'll find a way. <laughs> so it won't be that hard, I guess. <laughs> There's well, always a way. I just loved how much this was a reversal of Phil's kind of reappearance in this book during the big time story. Yeah. You know, you've got... Phil, who as an like you know an unarmed, seemingly unarmed character, takes down a goblin. You got the same thing going on here, where Norman seems to be unarmed, and takes down the hobgoblin. You know, uh, or I guess goblin knight or king or whatever. Uh, I thought that was like a fitting way for Phil to go out, seeing as he kind of tried to pull that trick on someone else. Yeah, and you got kind of a nice bittersweet moment with. Um, his uncle Ben uh, prior to that I mean that's always kind of been the the hook for the character is you know Ben Urich and the you know kind of how he and Peter both have their uncle Ben's but one is living and the other is not and thus they kind of go on these divergent paths because of that Um, but you know again kind of playing with that theme you know you have this scene where you know leading up to to Phil's ultimate demise um, you know, Ben is kind of, you know, not bemoaning, but, but, but is talking wistfully about his nephew and, you know, well, you know, if he gets arrested or whatever, at least it, it offers, you know, it's kind of like, it offers me an opportunity to, to try and bring him back kind of his, his attitude, you know, like through, through his nephew hitting the ultimate rock bottom, not thinking that rock bottom could mean death. Um, that maybe maybe he can get through to him again, and and obviously that that will not come to pass. So that there is some some pathos in that, which is um, I think well done uh, by by the creators here. So I, I want to go back to something we talked about a little bit earlier, which is the MJ scene. We talked a lot about last episode on this uh, about how this might be ultimately paid off, and could they make it? seem worthwhile or more natural and in my mind they didn't even do any of that like this still felt like kind of trolly uh and you get a slight admission mj says i do love you but i can't take the anguish of spider-man um but to me like this just makes mj even more unlikable especially how she's being written uh like what what a painful thing to do to fans that like this character, that, you know, and this relationship. Yeah, I mean, and and I mean, frankly, the way she kind of has Peter exit, I thought was really despicable too. You know, like let's leave as Spider Man because you know it'll be easier to explain than my ex. I mean, that's it, it's. I don't know who or what they're trying to service in doing this. I mean, for a moment I was like, you know, are, are they 
when they were kind of hint, hinting that maybe MJ was the one in Norman's chair, you know, tied up that maybe she would, you know, like, okay, okay, maybe that's why they went in this direction because now she's in danger and yada, yada. But, you know, it wasn't that either. It was just like, I said, I don't know if it's trolling or what. I, I, I just don't understand it. it. Like I said, I don't, I don't know what any of this served. Like who, who, who is happy about this and who is unhappy about this? Cause it's just like, you know, it's, it, there's so many other, you know, like comic pages in a comic book are they're shrinking by the day. And this is this is how we chose to use a good number of pages over the last two issues. And I, I just, you know, you got it's got to be something better than that. That's on the cutting room floor that I would rather have seen in these comics. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, my, my guess is that, you know, he wants to bring her into this because it increases the threat level of this story. You know, like I, I think back to. I guess the last really big Norman story in like revelations, you know, uh, where everybody's at that bugle office party and they're about to die. And I, I get the feeling that we might be headed in that direction with this book where the entire supporting cast is, you know, explicitly under threat by this red goblin character, you know, and, and including Mary Jane in that lineup makes it all the more dangerous. But I don't see why you had to play with this whole relationship love angle. It it seems to kind of like play with people's hearts a little too much more than just it, it's inflicting pain instead of just raising stakes. There was a painless right. way to do this. Yeah. I mean and you know, again, we're not we're not marriage truthers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> Yeah. Um so the fact that we're even being like, wow, that was kind of cold of slot and Marvel to do this. It's kind of like, all right, you know, like, you know, don't, don't, don't say it's the fans. You aren't over it. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, you, 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 you know, in, in one breath, they're telling people to get over it and move on and find some, find something new to complain about. And then, then they do this, which is, just seems to be stoking those fires. So, I mean, you know, do you want people to be stuck on this or do you want them to move on? I don't know. Seems, seems that they want them to still be fired up about it. They, they know it's a hot, they know it's a third rail and they like to hit it every once in a while. So whatever, (laughs) whatever is right. Uh, so speaking Uh, of classic elements of Spider-Man stories, we got this burglar scene in this story. I thought this was really fun, but I have no idea what larger purpose it's serving. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think it's just kind of to break up the tension of the issue. Otherwise, I mean, this other stuff is so ominous, is so dire, is so dark. You know, you kind of would get almost too lost in it. So um, that's. I just kind of saw this as as as, as breaking the mood. It's kind of like a like a cutscene, <laughs> yeah, in, in, in a video game almost. You know, just to kind of kind of keep it moving a little bit. Um, so. But it was fun. It was well done. Um, it, was, it was as funny as a Spider-Man catching a petty thug scene has been. Kind of felt out of the movie. Kind of felt like something I would have seen in Homecoming yeah. uh, in terms of the banter. So I enjoyed it. I One of the things I noticed about the scene that I really liked that, you know, Eminem has done, but uh, I think this provided a real opportunity to showcase it, is 
how much he thinks about the mechanics of the webs and the physics of them. Um, the way that he, you know, shoots the web at this guy's like right hand and then flips him over this lamppost. It there's a lot of thought to how the momentum of that would actually work, and it's not something you see a lot of Spider-Man artists really concerning themselves with. But I, you know, if there's any more praise we can heap on Eminem, it would also be this. Like this guy really, you know, thinks about okay, so Spider-Man's a real guy. Like how does this work? You know, uh, and this scene I thought it was really well, uh, like structured in terms of the mechanics of everything. Yeah. No, I mean, that's 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 very astute of you to kind of pick up on that. I mean, you know, I guess I guess I mean, nothing gets by Eminem either, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't don't give me the credit. That guy, yeah. you know, he, he makes it obvious. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he he really spends the time uh, putting it together. Um, so the next scene we should talk about, um, which we kind of also complained I think I complained about it more than than you did last episode. Is this kind of the status quo of Liz Allen? Like, what's yeah. up with this character? Uh, we go, come back to her, and we get a guest appearance by none other than uh, uh, Mark Raxton, right? Who we haven't well, seen in what two hundred issues? I'm gonna say probably since like the the how did Harry, how did Harry die issues, right? Yeah, I think th- I think that was the last time we saw him. All right. I mean, you know, well, you know, don't let old school characters ever go by dance lot, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> like he's always going to bring the two of them together. But yeah, I don't know. I'm 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 still kind of lost in the wilderness on Liz. I don't know if this really answered any questions for me on that front. I mean, do you feel more satisfied by the direction here? I do actually. Uh I like the bit where she acknowledges that this is an unusual role for her and like is asking Mark to let her kind of revel in bossing all of these people around. It seems right for the character who, you know, for a while there during like the end of the spectacular run was kind of just a character that was repeatedly beat up on, you know what I mean? Whether it be physically or, or otherwise, she just was crying every issue was just having her heart torn out. So to see her in a position of power and know that she's enjoying it, like did a lot to sell me on what might motivate her, you know, in a way, although I still am not very clear on what her like role and association with Norman is because during that whole goblin nation arc, wasn't she like knowingly working for the goblin in order to provide protection for Normie in some way? Yeah. I mean, it was kind of like, you know, he's still my, he's the most important thing to me. So, you know, I'll, I'll dance with the devil to, keep him safe and to keep him provided for and i guess that's ultimately why i'm still kind of muddied with the character because it, it just seems like that the, there has been no consistent through line with this character in in years now you know we just kind of keep jumping from subplot to subplot and you know it's good that to kind of acknowledge the the status quo with her the way they did in this issue and it, it was kind of funny to have her be like what i'm bossing around my old high school boyfriend what's better than that you know what i mean like and, and there's there's obviously truth to it um but <clears throat> i still i just don't know i don't know what her deal is i mean are we are we rooting for her are we are, are we against her i i i i, I I I don't know, and I don't know if the writer knows either with with Liz Allen. 
Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I hope it gets addressed in this story. You know, like, uh, I, I hope that she, you know, it, it'll be interesting now that she and Harry are a couple, which I read all of Secret Empire. I don't remember, like, that relationship being cultivated. Maybe I missed it somewhere. And if I did, let me know. I know in Amazing Spider-Man Volume 4, um, uh, was it number 7? You know, he, you know, saves his family from Regent with that car. Do you remember that scene? Yeah, yeah. Like, and that kind of sparks them having dinners again um, right. together as a family. Um, I didn't get the idea that they were becoming a couple again, but I, I, I buy it. I just wonder if I missed something. Um, but I'm curious to see if that kind of dynamic will come into play where she has to kind of choose sides between her, uh, you know, allegiance to Norman, as we suspect, and her kind of newfound love for her ex-husband, you know? Um, I'd be curious to see if that plays a role in this comic as we move forward. A lot of things to juggle. Yeah. Uh, so let's obviously talk about the big reveal and who is at the center of it. I mean, you know, the the the, the hostage, as you as you spoiled it out earlier, Dan, is uh, J. Jonah Jameson. Uh, we seem to finally be paying off that issue of Spectacular Spider-Man, where Peter reveals his secret identity to Jonah, but. You know, it's funny. Someone someone had tweeted at me, and I I don't disagree with this. I mean, as as really fantastic as that reveal was, it it, it definitely got me. Like I I didn't see that coming, and yet once it was revealed, it all made sense to me. And I I also liked how Jonah let like let it all slip, like his line about you know you even killed his girlfriend, and that's that was what triggered it for for Norman. I mean, it, it was really well done, but you know this 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 whole peter outing himself to to jonah thing and spectacular i mean this was this has really not been a, i mean we had a scene in the last issue of amazing spider-man where jonah's like giving spidey uh you know pointers and and like a pep talk on being a hero but this has not really been integrated well into the story so as as interesting as a payoff is it's good for us because we've been reading everything and kind of looking to see when this was going to get paid off. But if you're kind of a more casual reader or someone who just reads amazing or whatever, this this is out of nowhere, right? Yeah. I mean, even last issue, they didn't even use their typical editor's note to say, go read the issue where Jonah finds out Spider-Man's identity, which you think would be like the one time you definitely need to be sure to put an editor's note in the comic. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, you know, and and yeah, you're a Spider-Man fan. You you might be inclined to read everything that Spider-Man shows up in. But it's not like the books are structured in a way where they're all playing off each other like they did, like in the 90s during the Clone Saga, where it was like a weekly saga in each book. I mean, these books are, you know, as far as I'm concerned, they're separate. They're separate universes right now. You know, like it, 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 it's it's. It's a missed opportunity, and and you know, like, and this was kind of my issue with that storyline in Spectacular in the first place. This seemed like such a m momentous moment to kind of pull a trigger on something like that in, you know, six issues in of a secondary series that, you know, at that point was kind of languishing in 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 terms of its quality. Really seemed bizarre for me and kind of desperate by Marvel. And, you know, I know Dan Slott had said from the get go that, oh, it was, you know, it's canon and he's going to use it. 
and and maybe he even had this in mind for how he was going to use it when this all happened but I don't know. Like, like, like I said, this, these, these are the dings against this issue of Amazing Spider-Man that I was talking about. It's, it's, you know, stuff that was clumsy in its execution, either in other books or earlier in this book. Um, you know, it, it, it trickles into this and, and affects and affects it. You know, like, like this. As good as this moment was, how much better would it have been if it was actually built up properly in the context of this book? Yeah, I totally agree with that, and. Um, I, I, and everything you said, but now that we're here, right? Like, and and this is where we're at. I actually think this is a great beat for that relationship with Jonah, um, because you know, it's it's cla- it's it's something Jonah would totally do, which is say something he shouldn't have said, you know, like uh, because he is this braggadocious kind of, you know, guy who. who more often thinks, but you know, speaks before he thinks. You know, he would be play up the dramatics of this and reveal that. And now, all of a sudden, there is a new tension between Spider-Man and Jonah. They couldn't just go to be perfect partners. Jonah screwed it up, and now all the stuff that falls out from this is on Jonah and his big mouth. You know what I mean? I mean, not not all of it. I mean, really, it's Jonah. And in that situation, anybody would make that mistake. But I, to me, it was like, oh, good. Like, this won't be a repercussions-free incident because, you know, uh, that Jonah learns his identity because now it actually has some consequences. Um, and so I was very pleased with that. It's still very odd to me that Jonah knows who Spider-Man is and this isn't, like, the biggest revelation in the pages of this book right um yeah yeah i mean i i I agree with everything you're saying wholeheartedly i mean like i said like you know like okay if you want to take out the noise of where this came from and just look at this moment in isolation it's a it's a brilliant moment and it's a, a totally i totally buy into this moment because of like you said i mean it's it's a total you know jameson is you know his defense mechanisms are kicking in so you know, he he's going on the attack as a way to deflect from Osborne and like insulting the goblin. And, you know, of course, like he, you know, now with this new information, he's going to let it slip. It's 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 a great, great moment. But, you know, like I said, it's it's just it's unfortunate to me. And, you know, and the fact that somebody kind of pointed this out to me almost immediately after I posted this review, you know, indicates that there are people out there who. Either, like I said, they're not reading Spectacular or they're just kind of nonplussed by it. And they're kind of like, OK, so this thing that I guess is canon is really, you know, the effects are that long reaching because of how it's deployed here. It's it's just something to keep in mind. Like I said, it's 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 something to, well, when, when we get to our ultimate grades here, which I'm assuming are coming up soon, you know, it's it's just kind of will add into as much as I like this issue, why I had a few dings on it. That's all. Yeah. I, I totally feel that. And I like back to the Jonah moment too. Like when he says, you know, you killed his girlfriend, you know, that implies a whole other story of Jonah, you know, post realizing Peter is Spider-Man, you know, having all these secondary revelations, realizing that, Oh, that means that was his girlfriend who died. And that means yada, 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 right? Like he 
has this veil pulled off and suddenly his whole world is recontextualized, you know, but we never got that moment. You know, it was no. just, oh my God, he knows. And then now he's his partner, you know, or, or like chat friendly with him on the phone. There was no development to this point where that line from Jonah could have been really an emotional moment because here's this guy that's made this revelation and he's being sincere but his sincerity trips him up. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, not getting that moment to me is a big missed opportunity. I mean, not to play Monday morning quarterback here, but uh, as as much as we kind of felt with the the annual issue with Betty Brandt and Ned Leeds was harmless fun. I mean, you know, that would have to me, that would have been a great opportunity to do a standalone Jonah issue, like dealing with the fallout of this revelation. And it also would have dovetailed nicely into this storyline. But, you know, case of it didn't happen. Uh, and probably unless they're going to, you know, Dan Slott's going to take one of his last four issues to do that story, which I doubt. Uh, it's just never going to be. And, you know, like I said, that's a that's a good opportunity to tell a story. I mean, we we just did a on our main show an episode about the supporting cast and how, in, you know, in changing up the cast kind of offered all these new opportunities to tell different kinds of stories and. Here's a perfect example of a story you could tell with a supporting cast member, and they didn't do it. So this is where we are. (laughs) I've been so pleased with how much our uh, main episodes have just synced up with the issues we've been reading. You know, last week it was, you know, the MJ Gwen episode, and then we got an issue where Mary Jane comes back into the book. Then we do an episode about the supporting cast. And now it's a whole issue about the supporting cast. Yeah. Uh, you know, some interesting kismet going on there. Absolutely. Not, uh, not the most interesting uh, syncing up of our podcast <laughs> and this book, that no. being the Red Goblin. Red Goblin. <laughs> but, uh, but another interesting observation nonetheless. Absolutely. All right. Well, do you want to get to grades? Let's do it. Mark, what's your grade? Uh, I am, I'm giving this an A-. minus. I was going to give it an A, but I think you've convinced me A minus, and that means there's room for us to grow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's and and you know, I know I said earlier, oh, we've seen these big opening chapters from Dan Slott before, but I, I do feel there's something different about this. I, I I kind of like this is set up really well. Um, I mean, okay, there's obviously still a margin for error, but at the same token, you know. We, we got 798, 799, and 800, and I'm assuming 801 is going to be some kind of like epilogue, uh, or I guess prologue. Excuse me. No, what's the po- what's the term I'm looking for, Dan? Epilogue. Epilogue. Okay, thank you. Uh, some kind of epilogue, but you know, I, I I feel like this is set up enough to be tight enough to 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 go quickly. To me, this was the be- this was the best reveal that Dan Slott has done since 698. Right. With, yeah. With I, 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 I am so. Peter Parker. And that to me, those three issues were all great issues. Even with some of my problems with 700, it's still a great issue. And I feel that way about this one. I think this is a landmark issue with a couple of dings in it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, people kind of saying, oh, well, you know, we saw this with Goblin Nation. We saw this with Spider-Verse. We saw this with Dead No More. I mean, I, I, I get I get the hesitance and. You know, I'm not ready to completely throw myself um, into the wind here and just be, you know, ready to just love every second of this story. But at the same token, 
this this was really well set up and I, I you know like outside of a couple of little things i don't i i see this going in a direction that that should be positive it's like you know because it's 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 i'm i'm not predicting necessarily what's going to happen but like I don't know. I feel like the circumstances are pretty tight here. Like there's only so many directions you could truly go and and they're all good directions for the most part. It's not some larger than life threat. It's not like clones or multiverse or giant spiders. It's it seems so far to be a pretty simple tale. Yeah. Um I mean but with carnage. <laughs> um but yeah. uh uh I'm rooting for this story. Like like we said last time, I want Dan Slot to go out on one of his best tales yet. And I think if he can pull it off so far, he, you know, he's setting it up to be a real possibility. Definitely. All right. That was fun, Dan. I mean, woo. I always love having a good issue like this. And, uh, let's, why don't we just keep that love flowing and going with our next review of Amazing Spider-Man number 798. Hit it, Patreon recording. Yeah, hey, welcome. We're going to talk about Amazing Spider-Man number 798 here. uh, Part two of... Going down swinging. Uh, we really liked the last issue a lot, Dan. I, I think it was probably one of our better reviewed Spider-Man comics since we've been doing this show for almost. Have we have we hit? We haven't ish, hit ish, uh, episode 200 yet, have we? No, no. We're like 10 away. Okay. We're getting there. Yeah, Dan. I mean, Dan Slott, Stuart Eminen and, and company, they're really bringing the goods these last few uh, outings here. And uh, this one was no different. We, of course... Finally get the first confrontation between Spider-Man and the Norman Osborn Red Goblin. Do you have any general thoughts about it before we get into the nitty-gritty of it? Yeah, I think this is another really strong issue. Um, I don't think it's quite as good as the last one. But I think if we got this issue independent of the previous issue any day of the week, we would have said this is the hottest thing you know, since sliced bread, you know, like this, this is a really good issue preceded by an all time excellent issue. Any, any issues I do have with this comic? I mean, you know, almost in their own weird way, kind of have more to do with maybe how some certain ideas were, were not set up, uh, by the previous arcs, uh, in this comic. I mean, it's funny, Dan, we kind of got called out on Twitter recently for maybe not being uh, so hopped up on the last, uh, not the Venom Inc. arc, but like that, uh, what is it, Death Omega Red or whatever it was. Threat Death Level Red. Or, yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, that's how memorable it was for me, that we, we weren't like, you know, all about it. And we kind of felt like that arc was used to kind of rush certain ideas into place. And, and especially the way... 798 ended which i thought was a pretty um interesting beat in its own way it's like i was i did have this moment where i was like oh man if if we were maybe just kind of if like the issues in between the legacy issue the initial legacy issues and then 
uh, going down swinging. If there was a more coherent bridge that kind of was charting Peter's character arc in a, in a meaningful way, I felt like that last moment would have been even more powerful and poignant. And, and, you know, like in a vacuum, it was a good moment and this has been a good issue, but it's like, it is kind of making me wonder, Oh, what was going on the last couple of months? You know, like if, if, if we, if we just had that consistency, I think I would be even more amped up about this storyline. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean like really my disappointment and I, I, like, I hate that we're starting on this kind of negative, but like my disappointment issue is just that I didn't love it more. Like I right. really liked it and I really wanted that final moment to hit, you know, as strong as I think it could have. And it, it just didn't as much as I like an all time moment, like already to me, I'm having coming home you know, flashes for this, for this storyline. Like I want it to be as good as coming home. And I think it really has the chance to be, but the ending of this book, I think it, it was not what I wanted. Um, but still not bad. Like in a perfect setup, this would have been one of the, one of the most exciting endings to a book I've read in quite some time. Um, right. but do you want to talk about the things we really liked about this issue? Because I think there's yeah. a lot to like about it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, 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 Again, I, I feel like the story has just been really expertly executed when it comes to setting of mood and, and, and kind of the ominous undertones of everything going on. I mean, you know, we had that entire last issue of just it just was sinister and was, you know, quite frankly, creeped the hell out of me the whole time. Um, and you kind of just felt going into this issue like, oh, man. When Osborne shows up, the shoe is about to drop. And how does this book open? But with like this kind of like very serene, happy-go-lucky scene of Peter and the science team at the Bugle. And it's like, oh, man, everything's great. Oh, God, it's going to go so bad so soon, isn't it? Right, Dan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've never read like, the opening of a book and been like, oh, I feel so bad for these guys. Because yeah. <laughs> they're about to have the shoe dropped on them. Which is it's very interesting because I, when I was writing my review for this, I was thinking about the last time I've been this excited about – reading a Spider-Man issue, like, was really in the lead-up to seven, to 700. You know, like, I, I, not knowing where it was going to go and, 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 and what was going to happen. And the difference between this story and that one is, in that one, the audience wasn't on board, right? We didn't know what was, what was coming for Peter. But here, we know what is coming for Peter. And so the dread, like, it, it, it's, it's a different kind of dread. It's, it's, it's the the audience knowing about the bomb under the table, you know, and, and it's even I, I, my cringe level was up even, even more. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's where, where the, where the movie audience, you know, the old cliche, we know the killers in the closet, so to speak, or yeah. is around the corner or in the basement or wherever it is. And, and we know that these people are trapped like rats right now. And, um, and yet like when, when the goblin does eventually, show up it still feels creepy and powerful and like even when you know it's coming i mean eminence rendering of the goblin you know osborne is just the goblin here i think was you know certainly one of the best looking green goblins we've seen in recent memory i i, I it's just like kind of like captures that old ramita-esque aesthetic since we've been talking so much about ramita in um recent months <laughs> Yeah, I love it when uh, artists kind of 
harken back to Ramita's goblin, specifically the eyes, the kind of like uh, bug eyes with the small pupils. I, I just found the way that Eminem drew him was so creepy, like this kind of like child predator almost. Like he's just kind of soulless and and just terrifying. I mean, just it, I just felt icky looking at this guy, I have to say. Yeah, I mean, because on, this, on the surface, I mean, the Green Goblin is kind of not an absurd-looking character, but, I mean, like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, obviously he's Marvel's version of the Joker in many ways. It's kind of like, you know, this is something that could be done wrong and and the the potency of it would, would be missing. But, you know, certainly Ramita, I think, nailed it. And not that people, other people have gotten it wrong, but um, Eminem is Eminem's really kind of, I mean, because this is a big moment um, in this story because, you know, Osborne is not supposed to be able to re- reconnect with the goblin, which is, of course, noted in the exposition here. So, um, you know, if you're going to bring him back as the goblin, it, it's got to be done in a very splashy way. And I feel like it's 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 achieved here. Well, the splash pages help out with that a great deal. I mean, you get two big, beautiful ones of him bursting through the walls into the Daily Bugle. And then, you know, obviously Spider-Man coming back out of the closet to punch him you know, midair, uh, uh, they were beautiful. I mean, these pages went for sale immediately online. I was like, well, I don't really have the money for them, but I'm going to look because it's something I, like every page of this book was beautiful and something a collector would want to own. What did you think about how everybody in the Bugle reacted to this? I mean, you get a nice moment with Robbie, you know, where the goblin kind of calls him out like, Knowing that he knows, or you know, as we've always suspected, that Robbie has known who Spider-Man is, you know, or Peter's alternate identity. Yeah. Oh well. I mean, it's 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 funny. I mean, this whole sequence is kind of harkening back to. I'm thinking back to um, the 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 night the night of the goblin or whatever the, the, I guess it was part of the revelations arc from the nineties. I mean, I mean, even all the way, I mean, even the fact that it takes place in the bugle, but yeah, it's like this kind of, again, this, this feeling of, of, of dread and unease and, and unsettledness and, and, you know, what is he actually going to do here? And him, you know, like they're trying to stand up to him a little bit, but like no one really knows, where what he what he's capable of doing and then of course you know he drops the 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 what you know he thinks is the that they think is the body of of phil yurik (laughs) which is just like i mean even you know it's just a very like whoa (laughs) (laughs) and then it's a bomb right i believe that was the uh the the, tritium yeah the tritium um, bomb from the annual see that annual is uh is really counting now there we go there we go counting that annual um, um i gotta say like when i was reading through this I, at the first time i didn't love that everybody seemed to be very standard like we do this at the bugle all the time you know like it, it really you know downplays the um the threat of the goblin but it but it seems almost intentional because it's setting up how much more of a threat the goblin is going to become, right? Like right. his old persona had become somewhat routine, even if we haven't seen it in a while. Um, but he's about to become something so much more frightening, you know, pages later in, in the comic. You know, that, that bomb you made reference to blows up, uh, you know, taking out the top floor of that Daily Bugle building. And, and then we get this really cool scene, I thought, 
of the goblin like impaled in the wreckage. I don't think any of us bought it for a second, but like what an image, huh? Yeah. Again, hearkening back to Amazing Spider-Man number 122. I mean, we're going to I have a feeling, especially since this is Dan Slott's swan song, we're going to be getting a lot of goblin nostalgia here. Uh, for the, I, I think I use when I, I think you know way back in the day when Goblin Nation was closing out Superior, I did a, a top ten Green Goblin Spider-Man story list for Chasing Amazing, and um, I have a feeling this was this is probably the story I should have done it for because I have a feeling most of those moments are going to be called back to throughout this arc. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're right. And then that scene becomes you know like there's a great moment where the Goblin you know Peter admits that. You know, he would have saved him if he could have, you know, and, and the goblin almost mocks him up about this. Like, of course you would. That's your weakness kind of thing before transforming into the red goblin in a really dramatic way. I loved the art, how the scene itself turns into the carnage symbiote and all the color that seems to like becoming that red glow almost comes out of the wreckage. I, I thought it, this was beautiful and terrifying. Definitely. And. You know, I, 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 I mean, what did you think of Peter's or Spider-Man's initial response to seeing Norman as Carnage? Because, I mean, like, I, I thought it was interesting, but, like, I, I wasn't totally sold on it, if that makes sense. I, I'm maybe I'm, I have the opposite opinion of you. Like, I didn't love the reveal. Like, I love the reveal, but I didn't love the ultimate image of the Red Goblin. I'm still not totally sold on that design. The mm. kind of like devil tail and and like weird eyebrow eyes of the Carnage symbiote. I, I just right. it looks a lot like the you know Sam Raimi Goblin with the kind of coned head and everything. I, I don't love this design. I know we were talking about how thrilled we were going to be to see Stuart Eminen's ultimate reveal of the Red Goblin, and I got to say I was a little underwhelmed by this moment. Maybe because we've already seen the character in so much promotional art before, but I thought Spider-Man's reaction, the kind of like expletive reaction, you know, he has to it was to me sold Peter's fear on it. You know, like Norm, he says, I should make a joke. I should make a joke. But then he literally has nothing to say. And I love moments like that in Spider-Man comics where, you know, he's such a motor mouth until he's truly in trouble. He has nothing to say. And, and it's a, it's a great kind of like inversion of, of how how his jokiness works. Yeah, I get. I I, I see what you're saying. I, I I I guess I part of me, especially when we got the very next sequence, which is these these carnage goblin bombs, which were a, truly a thing of terror. I mean, just a wonderfully maliciously conceived contraption from the mind of Dan Slott and Stuart Eminem here. Uh, I love that they can talk. That's yeah. my favorite thing. And they're like chewing on him. I mean, it's it's just it's just horrendously horrifying in a wonderful way. Um, but like I, you know, and 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 you know, I, I I apologize if I'm being overly pedantic and and kind of not suspending my disbelief or not. But it's like I'm also kind of still looking at this in a way where I'm like, well, you know, Peter. Over the course of his life as Spider-Man, he has defeated the Goblin. He's defeated Carnage. And yes, they're together here, but he's also dealt with Carnage symbiote taking over random people. Like, like I, I think the dread that kind of got brought in initially before 
Osborne even truly revealed his hand of what he's capable of doing, I, I, I didn't quite buy it right away. But then within minutes, I started buying it. But I almost wish we kind of saw, you know, I, I, I almost would have liked to see Peter run his mouth and get dropped as quickly as he did to really sell the oh crap <laughs> like i can't like this is real you know like I, I i like like it really would have juxtaposed you know like that that using the talk to kind of like okay i don't know what's going on here but i still need to kind of like def- you know it's a defense mechanism uh and then it, it it just stuns him into silence instead of being stunned into silence just by the sight of something it's like we we, we he still doesn't know what's going on in my mind you know what i mean like yeah no i i totally get that that's really interesting and you're right that probably would have worked very well uh in in the comic it worked for me but i, I think your version probably maybe would have hit a little bit harder um it's just i mean i'm not trying to rewrite the book here it's no, just it's just no. a little 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 nitpick you know yeah, I mean, for me, my nitpicks come in the next scene, which I thought was beautifully rendered. You know, this kind of silhouette, you know, Spider-Man crashes into this building and the goblin kind of taunts him from afar through his spider tracer. Um, and I loved all of that, but but the, the ultimate request from the goblin felt a little false to me, um, especially given the previous issue. Um, you know, I you talked about Spider-Man kind of realizing his you know, defeat, you know, a little too late, but I thought for sure with Green Goblin finally having so much of an upper hand, right? Like Spider-Man doesn't even realize that Norman now knows his identity, is the carnage, you know, is keeping tabs on all of these people, has Jonah tied up. You know, it seemed like an opportunity for him to really make a decisive strike at Spider-Man's heart in a meaningful way. And, you know, here he kind of just shows up at the Daily Bugle, makes a threat, blows up a building, but is ultimately kind of toying with Spider-Man instead of attacking. Um, and to me, I guess the Goblin has kind of always toyed with Spider-Man, um, but his ultimate statement here is that he wants Peter to give up being Spider-Man because he's always cared about the persona more than the man inside. And I think... It's an interesting comment on Dan Slott's run, which has all been about the man inside the costume being significant. But I don't know if that's true to the Goblin. Is, is do you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely, yeah, and I agree with you. I mean, I, I I think I mean to me, Green Goblin and Spider-Man. I mean, this is this is a blood feud, you know. Like, and and I don't think generally in blood feuds that there are caveats and uh qualifications i mean this is this is pure hatred and it's like you know you 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 refer to coming home earlier and you know i what i found so effective about morlin and coming home was this idea like he wasn't he wasn't toying with spider-man he was just like look i i'm gonna get you to come out one way or another and when you do i'm gonna destroy you and this is uh, and like that was terrifying because it's like, you know, what can what is Spider-Man really going to do? And and, and I, it was impersonal. Right. Like he says, yeah. it's nothing about you. I just do this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas here, it's like you have someone who I mean, who is literally, you know, he's gone to what Tibetan monks to try and 
vanquished this man and has, you know, bonded with the symbiote has, you know, is like has been consistently shown over the last couple of years. I mean, not to mention the entire history of the character, but, you know, has been consistently shown in the last few years of just being utterly obsessed with not just it's not about defeating spider-man for power or money he wants him dead you know (laughs) like like you have ruined everything from me and i need you dead (laughs) and to have spider-man on the ropes like that and this to be like well okay here's the deal (laughs) (laughs) yeah i Um, I thought, again, we talked about at the beginning of this review, a beautiful moment of Peter, you know, saying, I'm going to burn my costume and, you know, Spider-Man may be out of the fight, but Peter Parker has always been more essential to it. And I'm going to come at you as a man, not a Spider-Man. Like, great moment, but maybe the wrong villain for that beat. Yeah, or if not the wrong villain, I, I like, and this is also like where I said, like, the what I was talking about in the beginning about the setup to this story. Like I felt like we were, we were building to this moment. Well, during those three, you know, fall of Parker storylines, um, in terms of, you know, kind of like spider or the man, which is like a very common theme in the world of Spider-Man comics, you know, um, especially in this dance lot run. Um, but then we got so far away from, I think that, that struggle, you know, like we, we, we had Venom Inc, which was just a total diversion that could have been written and published. I feel like at almost any point in Spider-Man history, it was just kind of evergreen in that way. And that kind of derailed the momentum of what I think was being built towards there. And then these last other stories, I mean, you you know, it was more about like tying up all the loose ends, uh, in terms of relationships, but nothing so much about like, you know, Peter having to kind of face his own failings again and, 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 you know, what Spider-Man has to do with that, you know, like I, those are always to me the most effective stories that look at Peter is when he's coping with what Spider-Man, what doing Spider-Man means for him in his life and what he can and can't do because of that. And when you get an ending like this, which is like you said, like this kind of call out to, I'm going to come at you as a man. I mean, like, how much more effective would it have been if they just kind of kept building on that momentum from those fall of Parker stories, right? I mean, it, it feels like that's where they were going. That's obviously why they were being written, to build to this. But it, it, the thread got lost along the way, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, t- I totally understand that. Um, I'm still invested, though. Like, I'm still yes. hugely invested in this story. And I think in large part because of some of the subplots we got in here. I can't wait to see what happens with Jonah Jameson because you know, he has this moment where he gets his own floating heads of guilt, yep. uh, you know, for once. And, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen Jonah feel this guilty <laughs> about outing, outing Spider-Man to, to Norman. And, I, I, you know, I know we've seen Jonah in preview cover artwork for, uh, you know, the new Spider-Man run. But we also learned that Spider-Man's going to be wearing a black suit in that run. So, for, in my mind, that artwork is a total lie. We can't, <laughs> we can't trust any of that. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I'm really worried about Jonah. I mean, like, this is an opportunity for him to make, you know, make up for his, you know, misdeeds, but he's totally outclassed here. And, uh, you know, I guess he's got Agent Venom helping him out, but uh, or I guess Agent Anti-Venom. 
I'm, I'm excited to see what this character does. I think it's a big opportunity for him to kind of make, you know, make up for all the things in his life for the past several decades. And, uh, you know, also the stuff with the Lyman family. I, I, yeah. I, I really have no clue where that's going. Um, yeah. and, and I'm very and, curious. And we haven't really had a good Harry Norman showdown in really long time, right? I'm trying to think now. Yeah, uh, maybe what, American Son? Yeah, probably. Yeah, so, I mean, that's all queued up to be really interesting. And, and it, uh, you know, I'm seeing preview artwork coming out of issue 800, and it's like, I don't even know how we're going to get to some of the points they've shown. It is bizarre looking. So uh, I think we're on for a wild ride, and this is just the start of it. I, I wish this ending had stuck a little bit stronger, but, um, you know, it, it's a minor blip in, in something I think otherwise really strong. Well, I, 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 think it is, I think it is a good ending. It's just like <clears throat> I think getting to that point was a little – Incorrect, not incorrectly maps, but the map to that point wasn't the best drawn map. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, do you have anything else to say about this issue? I mean, the art, like we said, is stunning, just stunning. Yeah, I, 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 I got nothing too specific to add. I mean, I'm assuming we're gonna probably get MJ back into this at some point or Aunt May. I mean, but I mean, this is this is we're still in a pretty harrowing place, which is what I want from this story. I, 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 I want to, I don't want to be able to figure out how we're going to get to where we ultimately get to. So, yeah, uh, my, for my money, it's like, I have no idea where we're going. Me speculating is not doing anything. Even if I do want to speculate about Mephisto and you know, <laughs> I, I do want to say there is a, a, a line in this comic where Norman says, you know, you made a devil's bargain Yep. You know, and it's like, why keep? I mean, it's bolded. There's no way it's by accident. Like they are, they are just poking you with a stick, Dan. <laughs> I, I, I understand that. <laughs> and then they released artwork from you know the first issue of uh, you know the new Nick Spencer run, and it's explicitly a to have and to hold reference <laughs> um, with Peter in a black suit with MJ on top of the Empire State Building, and it's like. I mean, how many more clues could they put into this? Unless they're trolling us in a huge way. Like, I expect we're going in a really weird direction otherwise. It's all going to take place in a snow globe at the end, Dan. That's <laughs> it. I don't know where we're going, but, like, I put my foot down here. I did a whole big tweet about it to uh, Nick Lowe saying, why do, you, why do you torture me so? Um, but uh, I just wanted to get it recorded on the podcast. There's weird stuff going on here. Peter is going to wake up in bed with MJ next to him in issue 801. And it's going to be like before Amazing Spider-Man 545 ever happened. <laughs> you don't think they'll do the you like. You won't believe the dream I just had, MJ. <laughs> you Face it, Tiger. You need to find a new storyline. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think they'll make a reference to the first issue of Brand New Day with him kissing MJ at the beginning in oh, that God. big splashy page? <laughs> anyway, yeah. so uh, want to grade this thing? Yeah, uh, I'm giving it an A minus. Uh, I'm a notch below you. I'm going to say B plus on this. Okay, so. great. I can't wait for the next one, which I, I'm hoping won't take as long of a break between books as this one did. 
Yeah, this was a solid month. I mean, come on. <laughs> I feel like they heat us up, and then they're just like, time to cool down. Right. Well, well, they 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 say what May thirtieth is ASM eight hundred. Is that the official release date on it? I, I believe think so. I think so. So I don't know. You you do the math. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not being paid to do that math, but I can't wait. This is uh, really exciting stuff. Well, Dan, that was another fun comic to discuss. Uh, but the next one, well, this might be one of our more contentious uh, discussions in, in, in recent memory, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had pretty different opinions on this one uh, that I think will be fun to see play out when issue 800 comes out in a few weeks. Is it still a few weeks away, Mark? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, of course, if you want to join us for that conversation, as it happens... You'll need to be part of our Patreon club. Well, let's get to that discussion, Dan. What's So Dan, I, I I feel like you know we're we're being very kind and loving to each other to start, but. We, we, we might have some disagreements in this episode. It's just, this seems like we're poised to 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 have a have a meeting of the minds that may not meet in the most pleasant of ways here. This is um, our review of Amazing Spider-Man 799, but it might as well be, I think, a, it's going to be what I think is going to be a flipped version of our review of Superior Spider-Man number 30. Yeah, it's true. It's <laughs> if uh, to go back in time, uh, that was an issue where I kind of was like, there were some things in it. I think at the time that concerned me, but for the most part, I was kind of all in on the story and really like grooving on it and trusted Dan Slott to to, to deliver a, a good final chapter in Superior uh, Thirty One. So I was like, yeah, let's just see where it goes. And Dan was just kind of like. No, no, don't you see all these problematic things? I was like, yeah, let's just see where it goes. I'm sure it's going to be great. And then, Mark, so, was it great? No, it wasn't great. Uh, and that was kind of the first of the true disappointments that we got um, from this creator here who's who's wrapping up his run on Amazing Spider-Man. And, you know, but it's like one of those funny things where, like, I don't think we truly disagreed as much as we thought or even sounded like we did because I did acknowledge the problems, but I felt like I just had a more open mind to it. And I think as you noted for seven ninety nine, it's kind of the inverse where I'm just like ready to pick this thing apart. And I think you're kind of like, it sounds like you're more like, yeah, I get what you're saying, but let's just see where it goes. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of where I'm at. Uh, and I just genuinely think I like this issue more than, than you do. But I also acknowledge that there are some things in terms of overall storytelling that are bothering me. And I think you want to just talk about the big thing in this issue is that, like, it kind of drops the ball on an already problematic ending to the previous issue. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we, we talked a bit about kind of the, the, well, now Peter's here to kind of, shoulder the load and and do what spider-man can't uh which was the ending of 798 uh to take out norman and the red goblin and and even with that kind of being problematic in its own right as we discussed at length in our last patreon episode you know it still felt 
for the most part, like we were going to get this very personal mano a mano kind of story. This was this was Peter versus Norman. Norman had all, you know, had the upper hand, had everything working in his favor. What was Peter going to do? And I personally was like, all right, what's what what are we what are we going to do here? What what is slot going to do here uh, to to show and and he he did pretty much it's he being slot kind of introduced this idea that was the polar opposite of where I thought the story was going. I feel like it was a swerve for the sake of the swerve. I mean, instead of having this keeping this very isolated kind of personal story to keep using that word. Uh, you know, it's 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 Peter being as I as I joked, it's P- Peter playing Spider Oracle, uh, a, you know, a.k.a. Barbara Gordon's character um, when, uh, when she was in her wheelchair during the, the, the Batman books where she's just kind of like uh, using computers and technology to to put all uh, the other uh, birds of prey pieces into place uh, to help fight the bad guys. In this case, the birds of prey are Miles and silk and Cl- and Clayton Clash Coles and I'm like wait what, what what's going on here like what happened to um this was going to be Peter figuring this out for himself this doesn't seem like Peter figuring this out for himself at all and I agree with that to a point I mean I think I would reframe this as like Peter even trying to figure it out more than Peter is going the first thing I need to do before I even attempt to go after the goblin is make sure my friends and family are safe, right? So he calls up everybody. I don't really see this as a spider oracle thing. I mean, yes, he's operating in everybody's ears, but only because he's under the pressure to have to find some solution to keep everybody safe. And that makes sense to me. Rather than kind of going straight into a fight with the goblin, that he is being cautious about how he handles it because he's been given a moment, you know, respite to kind of figure out what he's going to do. Um, I guess my problem with it is, is I just feel like that was the mistake is that this story shouldn't have given Peter a break. You know, like these stories work great because Peter's under the gun. And he doesn't know what the goblin's going to do next in attacking him. And that was the whole appeal of 797 is the goblin knows everything. Peter doesn't. He's screwed. Yeah, and yeah. This, this book opens with six pages with no Red Goblin. And to me, that's the problem. Uh, I think Peter's actions make sense and all of the following things make sense. It's just like, oh, way to take your foot off the gas. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely a huge tonal shift from what we got, even the two issues. I mean, like, you know, this, this very ominous, harrowing tone kind of goes out the window for all this setup and, you know, all this kind of, you know, red red leader, gold leader stuff. I mean, you know, Dan, again, I'm not I'm not trying to be overly glib and and to poke holes and stuff. But like, you know, the first thing I kind of thought about when when we're going through this was, you know, I, I felt like Norman made things pretty clear last issue. It's like, you know, you're out of the hero business, dude. Get the hell out of here. And or I'm going to kill you and everyone you love. And like, I don't know, I, I, I kind of found this to be very risky that Peter would have Miles in costume and Silk in costume checking on his family and stuff like that. Like, wouldn't wouldn't if like what if Norman sees another Spider-Man? He's going to be like, you're, you're going against our deal, dude. I'm going to kill them all now. I mean, like, I it just seemed 
so strange. Like this should have been Peter by himself, nobody else, because he has to figure this out for himself. And that's not what we got at all. I'm yeah, like, like the, yeah. I, I feel I feel that. Like I think it is silly that they are in costume outside of the apartment. I mean, there's probably a shorthand for like, hey, if you don't know this character, it is a Spider-Man character, like not just some random young kid that's staying out with Aunt May. Although right. what Miles is going to do to the Red Goblin is completely beyond me. Um, I guess his Venom sting is pretty powerful, but uh, either way, like <laughs> if Peter can't stand up to this guy, I hardly think Miles would be able to. That's well, even not the dissing Ven- Miles. He's a totally fine character, but... Well, even the Venom Sting gets exposed here. It's like, it finally doesn't work. <laughs> thank God, too. Right, I mean, right. I, am, I am done with that Venom Sting. I uh, mean, thank know. God Bendis, Bendis went to D.C., so, you know, they finally, you know, locked locked him in a closet. He couldn't make Venom Sting overcome everything. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one, the one major benefit. If we're going to take a trophy away from that, it's the Venom Sting has been depowered. There you go. There you go. Um, but I yeah, did, I, I mean, did want to say something about this scene, uh, a little yeah. detail. There is a character that we've been made to think is Norman Osborn in a green trench coat that's looking over both Peter when he was with Mary Jane in 797 and now in this one, Miles and Aunt May. And this character, you, you know, in that one, I think in 797 says something like, Oh, so that's how it is or something like that uh, or how mm. interesting. And you're made to think it's Norman. Um, and I, I didn't think it was anybody but Norman until reading this issue. I suspect that it's Gwen Stacy or the yeah. clone of Gwen Stacy because Norman is wearing a similar outfit, but their colorist chose a blue color for the a very small time we see Norman in that trench coat in this issue. I have to think that's the classic Gwen Green trench coat, and she's due for a reappearance in 800. Uh, really? Was that how you read it? or I did not read it that way, but I don't disagree with you. But I know you've also kind of been beating the drum of Gwen's clone showing up again. And I, I, I would certainly think the way, the way the story kind of twists and turns in this issue, that that's not outside the realm of possibility. Because it definitely seems like Dan Slott, in some cases, for better or for worse, is going to cap off every single storyline he's ever done on Amazing Spider-Man within this arc. Yeah, and it seems like if this is going to be the final Norman Osborn story, which I think there's a good chance it could be, I mean, at least, like, for now, you know, every, like every final Norman Osborn story is, if you're going to kill off Norman Osborn, you know, you have someone like Gwen do it. Uh, right, or you at least make reference to that and have all these people he's bereaved, you know, finally get their comeuppance against this guy. I don't know. That's how I would do it. It seems like the path that we're headed on to me. Yeah. So then uh, another thing that we kind of get uh, in the early goings on this issue is this this scene between Jonah and Peter where Jonah basically admits that Norman found out because he he blabbed it out and and Peter kind of coldly hangs up on him and I didn't dislike the scene per se but I feel like it needed more and especially in light of some of the stuff we got I feel instead of this 
later on in this issue that kind of again kind of plays into the pacing i i, I don't know like I, I i get the sense dan that you kind of like the succinctness of this but i i i felt like i don't know there was something missing from this it, it could have used actually a little more exposition and maybe we could have had a little less osborne lyman family drama later on um what, what are your thoughts it seemed natural to me i mean if i had found out that everyone in my life you know, was being threatened by someone because of someone that I outed myself to and trusted in, you know, disappointing me, I would probably hang up the phone. To me, it, it, it's, it's a cold moment and one that further sets JJJ up to do something drastic to kind of uh, make it right. Like, like a conversation would have let him off the hook and here Peter, like, doesn't allow him any sympathy. Um, I don't even know if it needed a conversation, but I would have liked to see more from Peter even after the hangup happened. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I feel like we get this beat and it's an important beat. And for the most part, it makes sense. But then it just gets dropped in favor of sillier stuff and new plot points, you know, I mean, like this, this, this revelation, we we still have not properly dealt with this revelation that Peter made in Spectacular to Jonah. You know what I mean? It's like this, this was total, it was totally done to set up this storyline the way they did. But like, it's still, you know, the, the, the true gravity of what happened here is I, I like, I just feel like at every opportunity is getting dropped. No one actually, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I like that, like something along the lines of just Peter being like, you know, I cannot believe in this moment of weakness, you know, here I go again, you know, being weak and seeing the best out of people. And this is what I get for it. You know what I mean? Like, this is, this is, this is a total tragedy. And instead it's kind of like, you know, treated as more like, wow, this guy really did something bad to me i'm just gonna hang up the phone on him i mean like i said this is tragedy it's not just like oh whoops you know i'm ticked off now like (laughs) you know this is this is next level uh and and it just it speaks to the larger issue of the fact that no one it seems in the spider book universe including in the chip zadarsky book really wants to deal with what they did (laughs) <laughs> what yeah, that means yeah. I mean, <laughs> and why they did it. <laughs> I get the sense that Dan Slott doesn't want to wade into it too much, even though he's kind of, you know, he saw it as an opportunity, I think, to kind of, you know, have this big character beat for Jonah in, in this book. But I, I, I get the sense that even, he, like, you know, in the, from the way it's written, that he feels a little uncomfortable about this kind of change for the character. Um, although, I don't know. I think it's really that editorial, like, you know, did not properly plan out the kind of fallout of that revelation. You know, you've got a a couple issues in Spectacular about it, but they didn't really, like, flesh out people's emotions very well in that book. And, no. um, Yeah. I mean, but to me, and maybe it comes down to how you feel about hanging up the phone on someone. Like, to me, I would never do that, and... It seemed like a big moment for me, for Peter. Like, I didn't need to spend more time with him. Like, that was, an, like, a statement enough. Like, I got it. Like, I I know exactly how he's feeling by that action, you know. Um, and you get that kind of frozen face on the screen, uh, on, like, the FaceTime screen of Peter 
looking upset. Uh, and to me, that said all I needed to know about how Peter is responding to this. But I can also understand that maybe you'd want more time to deal with that. Yeah. So um, I know, was just like, eager to get to the Red Goblin, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, we got this really interesting fight sequence rendered out. Well, actually, no, 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 no. Before we get to the fight, we get and and again, this this was another one of my problems with with this comic. It is, I feel like, you know, obviously when it comes to Norman and the Goblin, like the 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 Osborne family drama always plays into it. But like, you know, we're 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 now in the in what's essentially the penultimate chapter of of this storyline, and at this point now we're getting like more new characters and exposition and revelations this time we got the, the you know emma is actually emily lyman osborne aka norman's wife or ex or whatever you want to call her and you know we can we can speculate on who she actually is but the fact of the matter is it's like we're introducing new information here at a point where like we need to actually start i feel like resolving information not bringing new stuff into this i know we're gonna have this gigantic issue 800 but like i just feel like bringing this character into this and like her circumstances just adds so much logistical problems to the storyline and i i just did not like this revelation at all dan like i just i cannot i don't know if there's a way for me to see the 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 silver lining here yeah i'm curious to see where this is going but like it seems like the one thing that's truly not necessary for this comic like bringing i'm guessing she's a clone that ben riley was trying to use to gain leverage on norman the way in the same way he did with kingpin it's something i yeah it's totally unnecessary i'm curious to see if it if it does fall in line but i'm with you like it seems like a step too far you know in terms of keeping this thing tight and 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 you know closed up um especially since this character is not really one we've ever spent time with in the pages of spider-man like to the point that you and I never even made the connection of guessing it. To the point that Harry Osborne can't even recognize his mother. So, yeah, I, I don't really know what this is all about. I'm guessing we'll find out in 800. But, yeah, it'll probably be something that'll take a page or two to explain. Have very little dramatic payoff. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It is It is weird. I'm curious if she works for someone else, right? Because she was tasked with collecting vials of blood from the kids so maybe she wants to clone them if they die i don't know um it is a very strange addition because it it begs like answering 20 pages of comic worth where did this character come from and i certainly at this stage of the game don't want to spend those 20 pages and yet at the same token it's like you're not doing the whole reveal justice without explaining it. So I feel like you got slots painted into a corner here and it's, and it's an unnecessary corner to be painted into because we didn't need this. Like, like there's, there's so much other story that can be served instead of this one right now. Like you, I mean, we could be doing stuff with Harry. We could be doing stuff with Jonah. We can be doing stuff with, with Peter, with aunt may. And, and, and instead we're, we're just like, we're getting this like soap opera level stuff and, and probably like you mentioned clones, which, you know, no, I don't know who's clamoring for more clones, but I guess, I guess we are. 
Um, I'm, st- I'm still on wait and see about this, but I guess I'm curious about your feeling about this because so much of this book seemed to be um, Osborne versus Parker kind of story. And now we're getting like, you know, the Osborne's becoming a really big part of this story. I've seen some people writing online, and I don't know if this is your opinion that like it really went from like a smaller Parker versus Osborne thing to including this whole Osborne family and legacy thing. I don't think it was handled the best way, but I do think that most of these Goblin stories do end up kind of being like a a bit of a three-way fight where the Osborne family and Norman and Spider-Man are kind of key parts of all of it. Yeah, I, 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 I see what you're saying, but no, I, I, I just feel like we're, we're lo- the, the, the thread of this storyline and what was making it so compelling is just getting lost here. I mean, you know, like, I know it's not fair to compare this story to some of the great Spider-Man Green Goblin stories of, of yesteryear. But the fact of the matter is what what makes those effective is that these are these are mortal enemies fighting each other. You know, it's it is a blood feud in the in the most literal sense. And it doesn't need these these ancillary ancillary theatrics. It's 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 just raw hate and and violence, which I think is effective in superhero comics sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. And we we're setting that up here. And yeah, now it's just I mean. You know, if you want to do a uh, uh, Osborne family squabble story, then that should have been set up three issues ago. Like, I feel we're too late in the game to be bringing all this other stuff into it. Like, you 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 spent a bunch of preamble issues, and then the last two issues really honing in on you know setting up this up as another blood feud, and instead now it's to me it's just another you know story with a lot of disparate points and a lot of different characters to service and and i feel like when when you know as precedent has shown uh with this current creator that when there's too many things to serve nobody gets served and and then i and i'm just concerned that that's where we're at right now like i like you know a hundred issues ago it was very clear that this was going to be spider-man versus doc ock and and probably the least elegantly composed sections of those storylines was when, you know, we were bringing in people like Mary Jane and, 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 you know, like, and characters that, that weren't Spider-Man and Doc Ock. And now I feel like we just got a whole lot of different things going on between that aren't just Peter and Norman. And, and it's just, it's disappointing to me. Like, I feel like this is an opportunity lost. And I, 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 for me, it all hangs on 800. You know, if he's able to, merge the Osborne story and the Parker story together in a satisfying way, this will have been worth it to me. Mainly because he's executing on things that I feel like people have been, you know, playing around with for years and never moved forward on. Like, I thought it was brilliant that Normie got the Carnage symbiote. I mean, I don't know how that works, but... You know, there was they, we've always had Normie lurking in the background, saying these kind of things about and tearing off dolls off you know heads off the dolls of Spider-Man toys, and to finally 
find a way to give Normie some kind of danger without aging him up, I find really interesting. There's a lot of little pieces I find interesting that, you're right, might not hang well together. If he pulls it off an 800, I'll be really thrilled by that. But, yeah, it is is concerning, even though I like the individual elements that I'm seeing in this comic for the large part. Like, I'm curious about, you know, Grandma Osborne. (laughs) <laughs> you know, do I think it's going to get paid off? I'm I'm anxious about it, uh, but it's but it's interesting to me. So it's like it's hard for me to fault this issue because I think like six ninety nine, which you just referenced, was a bit of a placeholder. Like it moved the pieces forward a little bit, but it was really still waiting for seven hundred to you know throw all the punches. It was both teams getting into their places. It was eliminating everybody else so it could just be them. And I feel like at the end of this, I don't have to, like, think in my brain, like, well, what about Silk and Miles and all these other characters? They've been benched, so, like, they're cleaned up. But then, you're right, it introduces this whole other thing to further complicate it. So it's like, right. it's a bit of both. It's, it's, it's got a foot in both worlds. And even in the benching, I, 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 you know, like I know what you're saying about that. And, you know, I, I did find the fight between Norman or, you know, Red Goblin and all of like Peter's helpers uh, to be very effective and beautifully rendered too by Eminem um, for that matter. You know, especially like the torch and clash stuff I thought was great um, visually and, 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 and narratively. Like it was effective and it kind of did some explanation. It, it provided some exposition in a very, uh, dynamic action, ha- action, action heavy way about uh, Norman's new power set and stuff like that. But all the same, like, oh man, the resolution, and, and granted, this may not be the actual resolution, but the implied resolution to this whole thing uh, it just had me tearing my hair out, Dan. Which one? The Anti-Venom. Anti-Venom has become Dan Slott's cop-out and like, magic trick for everything it seems like the last couple of years and it's like you know like yes it was it was it was very poignant when flash is kind of like willing what's left of it to to peter like oh you know you're our, you're or to spider-man you're our number one player go you know go get him champ but it's like it's such a bailout to to spy i mean like you know peter is on his on his last leg here you know what i mean and it's like Oh, and here is this magic, magic, unexplained thing that was created during New Ways to Die that Dan Slott just loves to bring back as like a cure all for for everything. I mean, we saw it in Spider Island. We saw it in Venom Inc. Uh, we, we just see this thing over and over again as kind of the way to fix things. And, and I'm tired of it. Like, let's find a new trick, man. And it's like it seems like such a waste that this is this is, you know, Peter is getting bailed out. He's not doing this on his own. He's getting bailed out. And that's dis- again, it's disappointing. It's opportunity lost, in my opinion. I can see that. But I'm also going to like say the other way around that, like, I felt this moment. We we clearly had a moment in the in the previous issue where the goblin mocked Peter for you know wanting to save him, um, and that that would be his downfall. And here we see Flash, whose hero is Spider Man, who is very clearly styled himself after as a hero, you know, uh, doing what Spider Man would do. You know what I mean? Like 
say you know saving others at the sake of his own existence and i thought for what seems to be the end of that character like i think this is probably the end of anti-venom he was killed in in this moment i found that like a, a fitting end for that and a fitting end for flash as a you know as a super powered character you know if if that's at least that was my takeaway is that this is flash's last stand as a super character and i guess i don't know i all i know is you know when when spider-man was lifting tons of steel over his head it wasn't because anti-venom came and gave him the power to do it you know what i mean like it's just you know the this the stuff that stays with me more is is peter overcoming these odds because of his sheer force of will and 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 his his spirit you know that that cannot be conquered not you know magic voodoo that really has never been explained in terms of how it works you know give, giving him a leg up literally and we're we're, <laughs> we're talking about the leg in injury i mean like yes yeah so like if I you know I've seen the artwork from 800 which shows Peter wearing a symbiote of some yeah. kind and I'm going to forget that I know that because uh like I don't think that that should matter and I don't really know what that is because to right. me it seems like he didn't get the power of anti-venom and I could certainly be wrong about that in which case I will relent and be like that's dumb unless it's really well, sold to me in 800 I, I I mean that would be really really dumb, and I'm I'm hopeful that it's not that. But like I said, I I, I still find this to be a bailout, I, and it's like, you know, like there's got to be a more creative way to get Peter to Norman, uh, in a way that's meaningful, that's not getting bailed out by some other character that, you know, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't really matter. That's where I stand on it, Dan. I okay. mean, you know. <laughs> and, and I see it as like one of Peter's longtime supporters finally giving him the support that he needs and saying, like, go get back in the fight and be better than all the rest of us, you know? And like, to me, that was meaningful, you know, like these guys all sacrificed and it, you know, didn't really work out, but they can do something to help out Peter. And it wasn't like a cheapy, like, oh, this is Silk, you know, beating these villains for you like we've seen before during much of Volume 3. This was a literally, we're going to give you a helping hand, and now it's your chance to go be the best of us. And, uh, you know, 800 could totally prove me wrong, but for now, that seemed like a, a, a decent setup to me. But, but I, I look... This could very well be, like I said, Superior 31 all over again, where, uh, you know, it's taken my good faith and, 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 and flipped it. But I would say the difference here is there's what, nine, he's got 96 pages to, to fix it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is considerably more than 31. Yeah, yeah. So, um, nah, I, I, Dan, I, I, I was pretty let down by this. Do you want to get to grades? Yeah, uh, I'm giving this one a B minus. All right, I'm I'm giving it a C minus. So um, you know, like I said, there's 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 room to improve improve, but I am highly concerned about what we're going to be expositing about in issue 800. Um, highly concerned. <laughs> so, 
and I'm super excited. So, all right, well, there you uh, go. We'll see. Well, thanks again for joining us for this special episode of our show, which wouldn't be possible without all of our wonderful Patreon subscribers who keep us going in our show on the air. For our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed for a special review of the free comic book day, Amazing Spider-Man by Nick Spencer and Ryan Otley, as we kick off this new run of the title. There's no better place to follow along with that new run than here on Patreon. We'll also have a review of issue 800 and Avengers Infinity War over the next couple of weeks, so you won't want to miss either of those. Remember, for just $3.99 a month, the price of one new comic, you get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, Swarm B-Book reviews, extended interviews and outtakes, mailbags, and much, much more. And for $10 or more a month, you'll gain access to our amazing commissions, including our upcoming commission from none other than Spider-Man artist Alex Saviak. As for our regular show, we plan on returning sometime in the next week with our regularly scheduled podcast covering the Spectacular Spider-Man magazine. But as it's the end of the school year for me, I know that my schedule is a bit up in the air. So keep your eye on our Twitter feed to get all the details on our next show. And thanks again for the patience. It's just that time of year. And we'll get it to you, we promise. That next next episode is coming. But in the meantime, I will say, be sure to check out some of our other shows like The Ultimate Spin, as they just wrapped up Bendis' run with Miles Morales, and they got the upcoming end of Spider-Gwen. And I was there to talk with them about the Bendis conclusion on their latest episode. And we've also got our newest podcast, The Untold Talks of Spider-Man, where they recently discussed Amazing Spider-Man number 505 by JMS and JRJR. But Mark, I hear that you're on an upcoming episode of the show. Spoiler alert, Dan. Uh, But no, yeah, go check it out. In in probably another week or so, uh, I'm going to be on Untold Talks of Spider-Man, hanging out with Kane and Matt, talking Amazing Spider-Man number 430 and 431, the Carnage Cosmic Saga, uh, apparently, Dan, while they were researching the issue, they stumbled upon a Chasing Amazing post I made about this this book uh, years ago where I basically said I found it in a dollar bin, even though it's like a $30 comic on eBay. Uh, and they were like, wow, that was like the only research we found on this comic. I'm like, that's that says something about this story, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so would you say it's a must tune in? <laughs> Absolutely, because anytime you get to hear me talk Spider-Man or you talk Spider-Man, Dan, it's must tune in. So now we'll have like the two articles cornered on the market for this these issues. <laughs> got it. Yeah, well, plus we've also got the amazing Spider-Slack community for you to join. So uh, just check out this episode's description for a link to join our Spider-Man talking community We're talking everything you could possibly think Spider-Man over there. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, Dan, I got a a little quiet recently just because, um, you know, I was a little behind in my new issues in Infinity War. But I actually joined in on the Slack recently. So you you, you got me, Dan. (laughs) All right. Well, where else can we find you on the Internet? Uh, well, of course, you can find me on Twitter at ChasingASMblog. Uh, you can still get my book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Uh, and actually, I'm going to be, uh, probably by the time you guys listen to this, I'm going to be appearing on uh, another podcast, not not Untold Talks. This one's called A Very Special Episode. 
uh, where actually the topic of the podcast is usually talking about like special episodes of sitcoms and TV shows. But the guys who run that uh, podcast are a bunch of comic book fans and they, they're familiar with us, Dan, and what we do. So they had me on to talk Infinity War. So you'll hear initial Infinity War thoughts from me there. But don't worry, Dan, I saved the best stuff for you. How dare you, Mark? I- Cheat on me. <laughs> Exactly. Well, they pretty much had me on to be like, so what'd you think of Spider-Man in that? And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. And what about you, Dan? Where can we find you? Yeah. Well, uh, I'm going to be on the Twitter like normal. Uh, you know, that's me at, at Sup Spider Talk or my personal account at Dan Kavazdan. Um, Lots of things going on. You know, one thing I did want to uh, re-mention is that I am writing a graphic novel that's moving forward, and we have a Facebook page. It's look up Entropy Comic. Entropy as in, like, the cold death of the universe entropy uh, as a comic. So check it out. We got some artwork up on there now, but um, we're finishing scripts and... Moving into the art phase, so there's going to be a ton of awesome new announcements coming on that Facebook page, so uh, I encourage you to go check it out there. In the meantime, though, before Entropy you know, claims us all as the inevitable heat death of the universe, it is good to keep some kind of morality in check, and that's why we rely on Mark, you, and all of your famous sayings that close out the show. So, so what, what, what are we in tune for this week? Well, I, I, I think the most famous saying of all is, with great podcasts must also come the all-new Amazing Spider Talk.